0: Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well this morning. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, For those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the pastor, and uh, we are continuing in our series called World Upside Down. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts, the sixth chapter. We're going to be in Acts chapter six today, and we are going to be taking a look at the church, this very first group of Christians in the early days of the organization of the church when they had to face that things needed to change. I don't know about you, I cannot stand change. I don't like change. I like things in order, I like things to be certain, I like to know what's around the corner. I think most people are pretty much the same way, I hope, I'm not the only one that does, you know, just doesn't like change. Uh, most people, I think, reject change, especially when it comes to affecting our lives when it comes to affecting our health or our wealth or our relationships, if we're forced to change, it's very uncomfortable, isn't it? And today we're going to be taking a look at a a church that was forced to change. I I love Louis L'Amour who said, the only thing that never changes is that everything changes. It's true, isn't it? It really is true. That everything changes all the time. One of the certainties in life, ironically, is, is that things change all the time. My uh, grandfather loved trains, and uh, I would go to his house. They lived in Tarpon Springs, Florida, and I'd go up to the attic, and his attic literally was full wall to wall with toy trains. Uh, he, he just, that was what he did as his hobby. He did it in his retirement, and um, he did it all the way in, until he passed away back in uh, 2009. Um, and he just loved trains. I found an article years ago that kind of highlights how we as people have this idea that we want things to be always the way that it's always been, and it has to do with trains. I want to read this a little bit to you. The U.S. Standard Railroad Gauge that's the distance between each rail, you're going to learn something about trains today, is four feet, listen to this, four feet, eight and a half inches from rail to rail. Why such an odd number? Because that's the way they built them in England, and American railroads were built by British expatriates. Why did the English adopt that particular gauge? Because the people who built the pre-railroad tramways used that gauge. They, in turn, were locked into that gauge because the people who built tramways used the same standards and the same tools that they had used for building wagons, get this, which were set on a gauge of four feet, eight and a half inches. Isn't that amazing? It continues. Why were wagons built to that scale? Because with any other size, the wheels did not match the old wheel ruts on the road. Isn't that interesting? So who built the old, old rutted roads? The first long-distance highways in Europe. You're learning a lot today. The, the first long-distance highways in Europe were built by Imperial Rome for the benefit of their legions. The roads have been in use ever since. The ruts were first made by Roman war chariots. Four feet, eight and a half inches from side to side. the the ruts were made by the the chariots, four feet, eight and a half inches, was the width the chariot needed to be accommodated the backside of two horses. So when we say that we want things to remain the same, think about the railroads, okay? The next time you say that. We don't like change, but unfortunately, we live in a world that changes all the time, and so did the first church. Let's check this out in Acts chapter 6. Luke writes this. He says, Now... In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and the holy spirit and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenias and Nicolas a proselyte of Antioch i'm so glad we got through that verse okay verse 6 says this these they sat before the apostles and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now so far on our journey through the book of Acts, which is the story of the very first church back in the first century, so far we've seen this group of disciples respond to Jesus' death, burial and resurrection by having the Holy Spirit come down upon them in Acts chapter one, organizing as a church in Acts chapter two, and then we move on to Acts chapter three as the church begins to grow. Luke describes it in in terms of numbers as a good doctor would would, with very specific numbers. 120, then 3,000 men, which probably meant 6,000 people, and then he says 5,000 came to the faith. So we're talking about tens of thousands of people Who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, probably just in Jerusalem and in surrounding areas in a very short period of time. Things are exploding. To say the church was growing is an understatement. It was growing exponentially, it was like wildfire. And everything having to do with these new followers of the way, which is what they were called, was beginning to like, infiltrate every part of life in Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas. And so what was happening is this very quick ripple effect was going from these like 12 people who were followers of Jesus and probably a few other people that were followers of Jesus before his death, burial, and resurrection. And all of a sudden, that ripple effect went out further and further and further. And all of a sudden, this message of of faith in in Jesus and and love and a relationship with God because of what Christ did on the cross and not because of rules— all of a sudden, this was reaching people who weren't Jewish. And all of a sudden, this big, huge movement that was just infiltrating life itself in Jerusalem, all of a sudden caused a problem from within. You see, as the church grew, and any organization that grows is going to run into growth issues. It's going to run into growth problems, challenges, hurdles. And at first, we see when the, Peter and John did this miracle in, in Acts chapter 3, they healed this man who was lame, and then they gave the credit to Jesus, and they preached Jesus. They preached the whole gospel of Jesus. They were arrested. They were thrown into jail. They get out of jail. They pray for more boldness. can't believe that. And all of a sudden, like all of these things that are happening, um, we, we see the beginning of the persecution of the church. That was the first example of that. And so you have the outside world that is trying to prevent what's going on in the church from happening. And you see this persecution. And then the second thing that happens, the other pressure is, what we see here, a group of people that are inside the church that begin to complain. Have you ever been a part of a church that had people that complained? I'm asking, have you ever been a part of a church that had people that complained? Uh, I've never had that before. I I don't know. Anyway, it must have just been that first church. But I love this passage because we see so much about God's Holy Spirit working in and through the lives of the men and the women who are part of this first church. And how they handle this criticism, how they handle this legitimate complaint sets the church up for what's going to happen over the course of the next all, all the book of Acts and beyond. And in fact, we're a part of this today. You see, these, these Hellenists, were, they were Greeks, and they were now coming to Christ just like the Jews were. And all of a sudden, you had different religions, different races, different cultural backgrounds, all of a sudden in the same building. And the Hellenists, who were a minority group in Jerusalem, they were kind of already on the outside looking in, and either by just, we dropped the ball on this, or we weren't aware of it probably, the first church kind of treated these Greeks the same way. They kind of were um, alienated. They were were kind of uh, really maybe meant to feel like they didn't matter. And so you have this conflict, and this small group of people rises up, and they say, hey, our widows are not being fed the daily distribution. The Jewish widows are getting it, but we're not. And I love the response from the church leaders, because they listen to the complaint, and they respond with a spirit that I believe was led by God. Really amazing. Acts one. now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. This clash of cultures has happened, and the ball gets dropped. And what does the church do? You see, everything about that first church, the impact was huge outside the walls of the church and then all of a sudden, some of the things that they, were, uh, that they felt like God was leading them to do with inside the church in terms of helping and serving each other, all the way going back to Acts 2 when they first got together and they shared everything in common, all of a sudden, they weren't able to do that because the church had grown. I, I, I know that there are different um, opinions and thoughts on big church versus small church. And Hilton Head Island Community Church has been around for almost 11 years now. And I love um, the conversation that I had in the early days especially of our church. And maybe some of you were some of, some of the ones that, that would say something like this. You'd say, Pastor Todd, man, I love our church. I can, go, I can go from the beach to church. I can go from church to the beach. I can wear shorts. I can bring my friends and my friends like it. They actually are, you know, like getting something out of it. And and, and, and then they say, and we love it because it's small. And I was like, man, I was with you all the way till like I loved it because it's small. Because as a church that is Serious about following the Holy Spirit, following God's leading, and serious about its mission, our mission to passionately share the message of Jesus and lead people to follow him, the natural byproduct of that is what? It's growth. Oh, man, you guys said it. You totally beat the early service way to go. All right, I won't tell them. The, the, whole, the whole result of that is going to be growth, and growth equals change doesn't it growth equals change the church has to change if it's committed to the spread of the gospel because the natural result of that it is going to grow and so we see in this first church this this dynamic church not this steady church man a, a church that that is small is an easy church it's true I remember when we were small and we had 100 people or so, and I loved pastoring so much during that period of time. I really did. It was, it was fairly easy, and it was fun. And, and I knew so many of you so much more than I get to today. And Man, I long for those days sometimes. I really do. As a pastor, as a shepherd, man, I love that. And for some of you who've been with us for a long time, you're like, yeah, I miss those days. And those days are great, but God has grown us just like he was with this church. In the, first, in the sixth chapter of Acts. And things were changing. The church had to change. A medium-sized church is a, is a comfortable church, but a growing church is an uncomfortable church. Any organization that's growing is an uncomfortable organization. Yet if it remains serious and committed to its mission, then it's going to be effective. And I want you to hear something today. As your pastor... The things that we do, the how we get there may change through the years based on how many people we have and what God is doing. But I want you to hear something. As long as I'm the pastor of this church, our mission will not change. To passionately share the message of Jesus and to lead people to follow him. That's the great commission that Jesus gave us as a church at the end of Matthew. He told us to go into all the world and to to preach and to baptize and to be committed to those two things of passionately sharing the message of Jesus and leading people to follow him. Now, in this passage, I think what we have here are, are people who are following God, and they have this, this dynamic problem. They have this change because of the growth that's taking place in the church, and they have to face it, and they do, and they do it with so much skill. In fact, if you're, if you're a business owner or you're involved in business, man, you, get, you can pick up so much from what they were doing here. And and I want to point out three things. I think the question that they were asking was something along the lines of not how do we do this in the future without change, but how do we continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus as a growing church? And I think there's three things that we find in this passage that they do, and I think we as a church need to do it as well if we're going to turn the world upside down. First and foremost, we must be passionate about serving both our church and our community. We as, as, as a group of people who are, are part of Hilton Head Island Community Church have to keep that passion that was instilled in us back in 2007 and even before that when Low Country Community Church got us started. Um, we've got to remain faithful to that passion to serve both inside the walls and serving our community. It's a both not and, not an either or. It's a commitment to both of them. It's a commitment to go outside the walls and do something like we did last week at Antioch Educational Center when uh, about 20 or so of you guys showed up and helped them um, work on their landscaping, and it was um, pretty tough work, but uh, you guys did it, some of you did it with just great smiles on your face. and. Uh, You were there for five or six hours, some of you. I was there for two, so I put my time in and left. And you guys did an amazing job. And there's a commitment to that, to be out in the community and do some of those things that we talk about. But it's also being passionate about serving the church inside the walls. And I think if we're strong in one area, it's we're really strong at serving the community. And if we're weak in one area, it might be a little bit on this side of things, just like that first church did of serving each other. I think we do a good job of serving each other. there's definitely some holes to fill. I want to encourage you, if you're a part of our church, man, if you're visiting here, you're from up north somewhere, we love you're here today. Hopefully you can take this back to your church up in Ohio, I'm sure, or Pennsylvania, and you can take it back to your church. But if you're a part of this church, I want to challenge you to find a place where you can get involved, both inside and outside the church. Today we've got serve cards over at um, Uh, Let's see, we've got back at guest services uh, today, and you guys can pick those up um, today, you know, on your way out. You can take a look at that prayerfully. Consider where you may serve. If you're not already, many of you are already serving. We've got our island kids. Leslie Shaw and her team do an amazing job. Um, If you serve in island kids, we are so thankful for what you do. Thank you so much for helping our kids learn what the Bible says and why Jesus came to die on the cross. Thank you so much because my kids are saved today because of that. And I'm so thankful for those of you who serve in Island Kids. Aren't you parents? But I'm telling you, they can use some more folks. They can use some more people who are committed to just once a month serving back in Island Kids. Our student ministry, uh, Justin Boyder and his wife, Andrea, they're gonna be moving here, two two little ones. They're gonna be moving from Dallas. Uh, He's finishing up seminary, be praying for them. He's finishing up seminary pray for him. Uh, they're going to be moving from Dallas, Fort Worth area down to Hilton Head next month. And uh, I can't wait till he gets here. But for the last nine months, um, we've had some of our great volunteers back at the well serving our students. Um, and I, but I got to tell you, it was me and one other man for nine months. And that's not meant to guilt you or make you feel bad or even rebuke you, even though it probably sounds that way. But I tell you that to say this to some of our men. They need you back there. They need you. They need to see your face. They need, to, they need to have a relationship with you so that when they're going through some of the same things that maybe you went through as a middle schooler or as a high schooler, they have someone that they can rely on. And if you're here today and you feel led to help serve our, our student ministry, man, that would be amazing, especially our men. That would be amazing. There are some things that, that we can do to shore some things up internally, just like that first church did. What they did is they found people who were, were skilled in certain areas, and, and they, they helped plug them into ministry. They did it with Stephen. We're going to find out more about Stephen later on. They did it with Stephen, and these other Greek men they, they found, um, they found out that they were good at certain things, and they gave them the responsibility for making sure that the Greek widows had their daily distribution just like the Jewish widows did. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool? They delegated and they empowered an area of ministry that was so incredibly important. And they did it with skill. They did an amazing job. In verse, verse 2 it says, the, the twelve summoned the full members, the disciples, and said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. They were essentially saying we need to do both of these jobs. They're both important, and we feel called to do this specific one, but we're going to allow you guys to take this specific job and run with it. How are we going to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a growing church? First thing is just never lose our passion. Be passionate about being the hands and feet of Jesus. Secondly, we must be intentional with how we serve our church and our community. One way is that serve card. For those of you who know where you're gifted, to find a place and just jump in, get involved. But some of you, you've never found out what your shape is. Your shape is your spiritual gifts, your um, uh, uh, heart, your, your, your abilities, your passion, and your experience. And, and you can go online and go to hiltonheadislandcc.org shape and take that profile, and one of our staff members will follow up with you to find your place of ministry. That's the best way to get involved. Is to find your area of skill and jump in and dive in and get involved. Um, we, we had this whole dream of helping people out with a meals ministry, um, maybe helping people out as they, you know, if they're sick or um, if, if there's a newborn in the church uh, by serving a meal, by bringing a meal to their house. And we had this great vision for it, but we didn't have anybody to lead it. And our kind of rule of thumb is is if we don't have anybody to lead it, we're not going to start it. So if you ever have a great idea, you're probably going to be elected. If you voice that idea, you're going to probably be elected to lead it, all right, around here. Um, And so we were really praying through who could lead this ministry. And all of a sudden, about six months ago, a lady showed up. She, She and her son moved from Charlotte, Corinne. And Corinne had a background in meals ministry. Isn't that cool how God works? We began praying about this a long time ago, and he filled that need with somebody who was passionate, had experience, had a personal story behind it about when her mom was going through cancer, and it worked out in God's timing, not ours. That's intention. That's serving with intention. How do we continue to be the hands and feet of uh, Jesus in a growing church? We must remain passionate. We must be intentional. And then lastly, we must be Flexible with how we serve our church and our community. See, this is where the what will never change. The what is our mission. The what is our, our mission to passionately share that message with Jesus and lead people to follow him. But I got to tell you, church, there are going to be times in the life of our church when we're going to have to change the way that we get there. We're going to have to change the how. We're going to have to invent new ways. We're going to have to ask God to give us insight and wisdom and discernment in how this needs to be done because these three dynamics have changed or these ten dynamics have changed. And that's what this church does. They change how to get there. And in doing so, they begin, don't miss this, they begin to open the door in serving a group of people who are alienated, who all of a sudden this new rabbi had come along and said, you know what, grace is for everyone. All men have fallen short, and faith in Jesus Christ is for everyone. And we're going to see that dynamic. This whole story begins to set up this amazing dynamic for the message of Jesus to cross every barrier that you could possibly think over the next year few chapters. It's incredible what God does. But it was dependent on the church remaining flexible with the how they got there. Not with the what, but with the how they got there. The mission doesn't change. The strategy may eventually change. I had a great privilege to spend a day um, driving around a guy by the name of Howard Hendricks. And some of you may know the late Howard Hendricks, who was a professor, seminary professor at actually the seminary that um, our, our new youth pastor, uh, Justin, is finishing up at right now, Dallas Theological Seminary. And Howard Hendricks was world known to be one of the greatest professors who ever lived. He passed away a few years ago, a great man of God. And uh, I got to be his chauffeur one day in Atlanta working for this organization I used to work for. And I thought, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to get to drive. They called him the prof. I get to drive the prof around. And, um, I, you know, I, I thought, I'm just going to do my little thing, you know, get up and drive and go pick him up and just remain quiet because he's got people with him I'm sure he wants to talk to. For a day, he talked my ear off. It was awesome. It was so neat. He just poured into me and my friend who was with me. It was amazing. One of the neatest days of my life. And I remember him talking about change. The church in the 90s was going through just dynamic change. And he said something like this that ended up being in one of his books that I found later. He says this, that there are three stages of, that people go through when confronted with change. Number one is a resistance to change. Number two is a tolerant tolerance to change. And then finally, people embrace the change. And I wonder where you are. Are are you at that point where you're just really resistant, especially in the church? Oh, man, it's going to be an uphill battle. Maybe you're halfway there. You're beginning to get a little more comfortable with it, a little more tolerant of it. My prayer is, is that Hilton Head Island Community Church, when it comes to the how, would be a group of people who embrace the change that the Holy Spirit leads and when the Holy Spirit guides us to change. The reason the world was turned upside down, the reason they were even talking about these things and making these changes and being confronted with these issues was because this message of Jesus was so incredibly different. It was a message that was based on love, extravagant love. And I'm reminded of this The words from Jesus recorded by John in John 13, 35. here where we'll end today. When he said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have, say it with me, love for one another. Church, we're at a critical juncture in our culture, in our world. They're looking at us. They're watching out for us to make a mistake, to slip up. And you know what we can do? The best thing that we can do to combat that is to come together around that message of Jesus, the message of love and of grace and of hope and they'll watch us and they'll be attracted to him because of our love. That's reason enough to embrace the change. Father God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for this passage, this unique passage that seems to have to do with organizational structure. But at the heart of it is that message of love that you demonstrated on the cross because you went there and you allowed yourself to be nailed to a cross because you loved me. As Paul said, and I say, the chief of sinners. God, you love the world enough that you provided the sacrifice. You provided the ability for us to have a relationship with you, not based on anything that we in and of ourselves do, but based on what you did there on the cross. And God, if we have to embrace change to continue that message, to continue to take it into our community and our world, but also to live it out within the walls of the church, God, I pray that we would be open to embracing the change whatever that looks like, however your Holy Spirit leads. God, I pray that you would raise up people in this church who would jump in and fill the spot, but not just fill the spot, but do it with intention and skill and purpose and integrity and passion. And God, I pray that we're not the kind of church where things get missed and balls get dropped and stuff gets slipped through the cracks God I pray that we're a church that does both really well that we go out in our community and we share that message in a powerful significant way where people come to faith in you and that we internally love each other enough to fill the gap to be there for each other to lead that ministry to serve in that area God so that all of your people all of our needs are met God I pray that you would go before us and that you would help each one of us as we turn our world upside down to understand what we need to do the part that we play God I pray that you would make that abundantly clear that you would raise up new people who haven't taken the shape profile other people who know their skill area and they just need to get involved and God I pray that we see the dynamic life changing God message that you came here for expanded to those who are least, those who are alienated, those who are pushed to the edge of society. God, I pray that we would be the leaders in that As this first church was on the verge of that, God, I pray that we are a church that's on that verge as well. Go before us now, God, and I pray that the world would know us by our love. In Jesus' name, I pray.